Hello everybody, you're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR. My name is Mario. Before I get going, I just want to acknowledge the people of the Kulin Nations whose land 3CR broadcasts from. So on today's episode, um, you'll be hearing from Margarita Coppolino. Margarita is a passionate advocate on disability and human rights, is a photographer, and is also an inclusion and intersectionality consultant who advises government, business and social justice organisations. I began by asking Margarita to just introduce herself. Uh, my name's Margarita Coppolino. My pronouns she, her. I identify with a number of intersectional lens communities. So I have a disability and um, also from the lesbian, from the LGBTIQA community. And I acknowledge that I'm also part of the culturally diverse community, first-generation Australians. Her uh, mother was Sicilian. And 62, so don't hold that against me. Margarita, you've done so much. I guess my question is, yeah, what are you up to at the moment and what's some of the work that you're you're doing? Uh, look, being an intersectionality consultant means I get to work on some fabulous work around all different types of communities. But my current work is that I'm working with a colleague, my colleague, Matthew Burden, and we're doing a project that's funded by federal government to increase the voices of LGBTIQA people with disabilities uh, to do submissions and appeals at the Disability Royal Commission. Um, so there's that and also about a couple of round, round tables to raise the issues of the intersectional lens of people with disabilities as they experience as part of the LGBTIQA community. Um, I'm the current chair of ECCV uh, Disability Coal Statewide Network, uh, which, which is an amazing network. We meet uh, every six weeks to talk about disability culturally diverse issues. And also I'm on various boards and committees, including uh, co-chair of the ULGA, which is the International Lesbian Gay Association uh, Oceania Region Board, and also uh, director on the ULGA World Board. So it sounds like you do a lot of work with organisations and government and to try and increase kind of diversity and inclusion. Um, how have you seen that space evolve over the years? Um, and maybe where do you think it's at at the moment? Look, I, I think that's a really uh, interesting question to answer. Um, I, I particularly want to say that in the 80s, uh, we started out with an, an affirmative action. Then we brought in the opportunity and then diversity and then inclusion. So the wording changed, the models that we work with changed, so as in what we practice. However, I think what's been quite significantly different in the last, say, five years, more to the point, is the word co-design mm. is pretty much now what's really leading uh, the work in that space around people with lived experience being at front and centre of any work that organisations uh, and communities do around diversity, inclusion, intersectionality. People with lived experience have to be front and centre 
for co-design or any work in that space. And that's what's really exciting, that we're hearing now the voices, and that means the practice is different. That means people are getting, they're understanding the models or strategies that organisations doing because it's got a live experience feel to it. It was co-designed by people who are impacted by those strategies or frameworks or whatever's being developed. And in your experience, is that something that's been welcomed by organisations or has it been a bit of a process to get to the point where they are listening to people with lived experience? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think that's a very valid question. Uh, I think what changed that was for many years, we have excellent practitioners who don't have lived experience of, of the work that they are doing. And by having people alongside them while they're developing it with lived experience really brings that strategy to life. It really has the depth of, you know, that policy or strategy, how it's going to impact. And that ownership too, I think, around the change. Um, because what organisations forget, people with lived experience are inside and outside any organisation that do those policies and procedures and strategies. They forget that they are also their own workforce as well as their customers. And if your workforce is not reflecting the customers that you're working with, then you're doing something wrong. You're missing out on, you know, working with all people and given now that organisations are saying we want people to bring their whole self to work, I bring my whole self to work, I want to be uh, liaising with organisations, not only in my disability, but, you know, the fact that I come from culturally diverse, uh, that I'm also part of the LGBTIQA community, so that organisations don't only work with just a very small part of me, they work with the whole me. That's interesting because I, I feel like it's such a new concept to a lot of organisations because that bringing your whole self to work and all that kind of thing was almost, in my experience, is almost discouraged a lot and you need to keep professional boundaries and all this, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah, and I feel like it's, it's, it is shifting slowly, which is really good because it means that we end up getting richer programs and richer results from all of that stuff, you know. And, you know, so I'll give you an example of, you know, like, there's a case study that I quite often use uh, in training is that a person with a disability from a culturally diverse community who uh, is transitioning and they are working at this particular environment, uh, which is an employment environment, which is supported employment. They are bullied by their colleague worker. Mm -hmm. um, not based on their disability, but based on the fact that they are trans. Once they go outside that workplace, then in some ethnic communities, uh, that particular person would experience discrimination and bullying and abuse and neglect from part, different parts of ethnic communities based on their trans. And in some cases, their disability as well. So it's double whammo, and it's the 
the confounding issues. Uh, so depending on where that person's moving into what spaces, and they they experience discrimination on different intersectional limits of what they of who they are. I'm kind of thinking you're sitting in this room and there's people, policy people, and all this kind of stuff around you. <laughs> Is it a difficult space? Look, I, I think people are better understanding the word intersectionality. I think they're starting to get it mm. that you know we all have different intersectional lens. Um, and then if you start talking about privileges and unconscious bias, getting people to do that reflection. That there are people you know, around the table that will have much more privileges mm. than we will, and then to recognise that, that 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 might influence how people see things, and just to leave your privilege at the door, come to the table and say, okay, this is the issue. What can we do as a collective mm. to move forward? And I think when we do more work of our collective thinking and rights then we stop doing that silo work and we, we have much more resources and ability to take everybody along the journey at the same time and people don't get left behind. You're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR and I'm speaking today with Margarita Coppolino. Margarita, you've, you've mentioned a little bit um, already around having a disability and also being from migrant communities. I know you've done a lot of work in this area. Can you maybe just talk about maybe your own experience, but also just what you've noticed in this area? COVID is something that probably brought out a lot of this area in particular around some of the failures to engage with those kind of communities around disability and around chronic illness and, you know, all of that kind of thing. Um, yeah, maybe just, just uh, I'd be interested to hear a little bit about your experience. Yep. Yeah, look, um, I very openly talk about, you know, my mother migrating to Australia, um, falling, falling pregnant on the boat. Uh, she was not married when she had me, and so for her it wouldn't have been an option to keep me. So she would have been told to put me up for adoption, given that, you know, she came from a Roman Catholic family, very strict and not married. And, you know, she would have known at birth that I had dwarfism. Um, so she would have seen that as a curse or the wrongdoing, you know, that she had to live with that for, for all her life. And, you know, that that's something that I think, you know, it's still quite common today. Uh, you know, I'm talking that was, you know, 50s, 60s, but it's still common today that if a child with a disability is born uh, to particularly uh, certain African communities, uh, it is seen as a stigma. Uh, some of the children are hidden at home, and the parents will not mix them in with the community. And it's very common, uh, even to this very day. And I think it's fair to say that you know, if I was ever meet my mother, the thing that I was more worried about was her knowing that I was a lesbian more than the disability because of the understanding I had very early on life around, you know, people from strict Roman Catholics and their experiences of having somebody in the family who is part of the LGBTIQA community. 
So I became acutely aware just through my own exposure. And, you know, as I started to do work in the space, uh, which was at first quite shocked just how common stigma, you know, different communities were saying, well, you know, must be a bit of karma. What, what do you do in a previous lifetime to end up like that? Um, you know, where there's been situations, you know, even here in Australia where you think, you know, because we've got modern laws, uh, you know, to be inclusive Australia, uh, that people with disabilities from ethnic communities, uh, you know, there are situations where they're at home and they become the main person who becomes the carer, the, their disability support pension would support the family. Uh, I've heard of cases where, um, particularly if the person with disability uh, comes out about being gay, um, there's been situations where there have been um, experience of uh, collective uh, rape to correct their sexuality and force into marriages, uh, you know, straight marriages and things like that. So people say, is that real? I said, yeah, it still happens. And probably more so that. And it's a shame because, you know, people with disabilities from culturally diverse uh, are ordinary people, uh, just like anybody, and irrespective of any other intersectional lens they have. And we've spent a long time saying to, you know, the, some multicultural communities, treat us as equal, you know. We can work, we can, we can be business owners, we can be families, we can be mums and dads, we can be partners. We can do everything that just the average person can do. Uh, so breaking down all those stigmas. And, you know, and I think some of the ethnic sectors got to stop saying, well, the disability sector uh, deals with disabilities. We don't have to. Disability sector has to take responsibility to include disability within the, the work they do. It, it so often ends up in a situation where um, people aren't accepted in their own communities, but they're also not accepted in the mainstream community either, and end up, you know, totally isolated or alone, or or not being able to access, you know, services that they need and all this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah and you know, and I think COVID was was. Uh, during COVID that really escalated some of the experiences that people from culturally diverse would have experienced. They became much more isolated, mm-hmm. uh, and particularly in getting access to services. You know, there uh, I've known of cases where uh, a person who's Muslim has specifically said that they only want particular gender servicing, you know, support workers, uh, and then the service provider uh, provides totally the opposite and doesn't respect the individual based on their their culture and their religion. Um, and, you know, while the service provider was saying, well, COVID, you know, most of our workforce was off because of COVID. So, you know, there was the flip side of that as well. Um, so, yeah, it's it. And what people don't realise that roughly about 75% of the 
difficult to work for. So are people from culturally diverse communities? Yes, totally. But I feel like also like that idea of because of COVID, it's often used as a bit of a cop out, right? <laughs> um, and I feel like some of these things were there before COVID. You know, they've been exacerbated because of it. But you know, access yeah. kind of thing was has always been an issue. You know, it's, you know, for people that are from diverse backgrounds and LGBTIQ backgrounds, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, and you know, I think what you know what I'd like to see, and and this will be the impact of you know having good co-design. More people from culturally diverse uh, backgrounds with disabilities in leadership positions in multicultural organisations, on their boards, on their committees. Um, the community leaders are consulting with people from culturally diverse uh, with disabilities. And, you know, also community leaders having education and training around disability issues within their communities. So when they're representing the community, they have a good understanding of the disability lens mm-hmm. as well as other intersectional lens. That's what I'd like to see happening going forward. That's all. And the other thing I'd like to see is the Migration Act, the removal of the uh, the removal of the, the, the part of the Act where it says that if, if a family member's got a disability, they can't migrate because they'll be seen as a burden. Yes. I'd like that to be removed. Um, I actually think that's in breach of human rights. And, you know, the fact that here in Australia, we actually have that in a piece of our legislation. Uh, I'm horrified that we still have that. Mm-hmm. And considering that the Australian government signed up to the Conventions of the Rights of People with Disabilities, better known as the CRPD, yet we have this legislation that discriminates against migrants with disabilities migrating to Australia. You're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR and I'm speaking with Margarita Coppolino. Can you also maybe just talk about the Disability Royal Commission? So people with from migrant backgrounds and, and also having disabilities last week there was hearings around at the Royal Commission around this. Um, so can you talk a little bit about kind of what came out of that but also um, this project that you're working on around LGBTIQ um, people and getting them to to try and make submissions to the Royal Commission? Yeah, look, um, just last week in Melbourne, the Disability Royal Commission public hearing was in, um, out of the, uh, what was it, the Convention Centre. The first two days they actually did it on a public hearing around people who were deaf and hard of hearing. And the last three days uh, was uh, based on culturally diverse. Um, on day three, there was a panel where they, the panel consists of uh, NIDA, which is National Effort Disability Alliance, Becca, which is the peak for multicultural communities, Australia, uh, PWDA, and one other. And they talked about the report that was commissioned by the Disability Royal Commission earlier this year that talked about all the issues, you know, like the migrant, uh, refugees, uh, access to health services, uh, the experiences of NDIS, the the experiences of not getting appropriate uh, language interpreters. And and particularly, you know, like 
Odlan, which is the English version of Zan. Uh, we don't provide any other uh, sign language apart from Odlan in Australia, unless you know. And there are people who live in Australia who don't speak Odlan, but, but may speak the Spanish version. But we don't provide interpreters for that. So I'm just using that as an example. And then there were witnesses who spoke about their experiences of being discriminated against in the health setting, uh, work setting, uh, and also I think there was a discussion around the Immigration Act, which I was really pleased to see. Um, this was the first hearing where it, it focused you know, particularly on culturally diverse. So we're very looking forward to seeing the final outcome in the Disability Royal Commission's uh, recommendations in the report next year. The other thing I particularly want to talk about is uh, Matthew Bowden and I have been doing the disability uh, project on, on people from the LGBTIQA community. We already have done a close setting workshop where up to 12 people who identified as part of that community uh, did a two-day round table to identify the issues that they experienced based on their, their way that they identified as part of the LGBTIQA community, not their disability. So it was their, that intersectional lens, uh, not the disability lens. And it was fascinating. We had people from culturally diverse, Indigenous people, people from all culture, um, all of the alphabet, all of the age group. And it highlighted that, you know, sometimes organisations forget that a person with a disability has other intersectional lens is where they may experience abuse, neglect and exploitation. And that organisations are not capturing that. And particularly lack of data, data sets. Uh, we, we have very little data sets of people from culturally diverse uh, with disabilities from LGBTQA communities because we don't know how to collect it. Mm. It's not part of the ABC, as of the Australian uh, Bureau of Statistics. That's what I mean. But what you know, we do really well with gender, as in women, for a long time, it's been pretty much what data sets uh, organisations have spent a lot of time. Mm -hmm. But we've, we've got to catch up. We've got to look at other intersectional lens communities. Um, as, you know, as I said earlier, uh, not only am I a person with a disability, not only do I identify as a lesbian, a female, cis cisgender, female, uh, then I identified as 62, so I'm that age bracket. Uh, I've come from a culturally diverse community. And I can keep going on and on with all the different data sets that we capture. But most organisations organizations only target me for disability. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you got an amazing, amazingly diverse group of people in, involved in that project. Was that 
how was that process? Was that are people, you know, wanting to come forward and wanting to share their experiences or, or yeah, what's what's the experience around that? Look, I, I was very fortunate that in 2006 to 2012, I was working in, in a Victorian government department at the time, uh, uh, actually uh, manager of access and inclusion. And, and during that time, it became apparent to me that once we put all the different intersectional lens groups together, that there were lots of uh, crossovers of the same issues and experience. Yet we weren't all at the table, all at the table at the same time having those conversations. And then it became very clear that as a collective, we had a greater voice when we all were at the table together, talking about those issues and that we were able to advocate so sometimes I go and I'll be at a policy meeting and I'll say, but what about people from culturally diverse? Because people would only expect me to talk about disability. And then if you train other intersectional lines on all intersectional lines, people better understand that the whole self of that person is different experiences around what they experience. That was disability advocate and inclusion and intersectionality consultant Margarina Coppolino. You can hear this episode and all of our episodes on podcast as well by going to the 3CR website or checking us out on iTunes and also on Spotify. We'll be back again next month, which is also the time of the International Day of People with Disability. I just want to thank Margarita again for coming onto the show and also thank you all for listening.